0: When I was uh, when I was working my way through college, I had I actually had three different jobs. Uh, I was a mechanic, I was a, I was a museum curator, and I hosted Japanese students, uh, which was interesting. Um, but I kept myself busy because I had to. I had to. Uh, I mean, it was it was hard and it was long haul. But I needed I needed to work in order to you know help pay for college, and so that's what I did. And uh, I was really excited on getting the the mechanics job because it was it was the best paying job out of all of them. And my my first day on the job, um, uh, they I knew. I know, I need some basics about engines and so forth so much. You know, just, I, need the, I need some of the basics. And so he immediately, uh, my boss, John Griffith, uh, he immediately put me on uh, taking apart uh, some, some head gaskets. And, and I did it, and I did a good job. Um, but I left the tools out. I didn't, I didn't put the tools away. And he got on me so hard. Like he came down on me fast and hard, and I feared this man. And he gave me the claw. Do you know what the claw is? So he had a little little come to Jesus with me, and he gave me the claw. So he puts the claw on my shoulder. And he said, son, just like that, son, he was a good old boy. Son, you did a a pretty good job tearing that thing apart and putting it back together. But if you ever leave my tools out again, that's going to be the last time you work here guess what? I never left his tools out again. And the point was is that immediately, my first day, he, he established some very firm boundaries. And it really wasn't a big deal for me to leave tools out. I mean, you should see my house. But um, <laughs> I have, there's a, a screw gun and wrenches in my daughter's bedroom right now. I haven't put the tools away yet, still haven't learned my lesson. But I learned my lesson from him. So there was, uh, uh, I guess you could say it was kind of, I feared my boss, yet in a healthy way, because uh, although I had a specific job to do, um, he genuinely cared for me. Yes, it was sink or swim. It was either do the job or you go work in the bookstore, but it was sink or swim, but he cared for me, and he actually cared enough to let me know that I was not doing a good job. and I learned. The next week, I, uh, I thought it would be a bright idea to, I was changing oil in a car, and I thought it'd be a bright idea to zip off the bolt with the, with the power uh, wrench. And that thing came off so fast, and I had hot oil pour all over myself. It was embarrassing, and, and I had to clean it all up. And then for the next three months, I was washing the fleet vehicles. Hmm? You know what I'm saying? I got demoted. It's like he didn't want me around the heavy equipment anymore, and um, it was frustrating because my friends uh, they were working on, they were doing the cool stuff, and I was washing the vans. And so, what's the point? Okay, it was at that it was at that moment where I, I I had to make a decision in my soul to have a good attitude about where I was. I'd messed up a few times. I left the wrenches out. I poured hot oil over myself. I made a big giant mess, and now now I had to pay for it. And it was, uh, the decision in my soul was, okay, I can either choose to have a bad attitude about my situation, and I could say to myself, you know what, I am am way smarter than this. I, I am above washing cars. Or I could say, I'm gonna wash this car to the best of my ability so that I can earn John's favor back. And I did. It took a long time. It, 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 was, it was humiliating to a certain point to wash the car, but I did it to my best ability. We had the best-looking fleet in, in college because you know I scrubbed, the, I scrubbed the tires. I went above and beyond what I was called to do and I got back into the shop eventually. And it was cool. Uh, probably around the same, the same, same period. I, I'm basically, I'm an only child of 18 years. So when I was 18, mom and dad decided to have another kid because I think the, I think the logic was, if we don't have another kid, we're gonna kill each other. And so <laughs> I think that that was the, I think that was the motivation for, for, I don't know, I think that you know, they, they're like, oh, my, Josh is leaving us, what are we going to do? Um, so they had another kid. My sister Alexandra, she lives up in Seattle. Mom and Dad aren't here today, so we're going to talk about them. Huh? Uh, dad is homesick, so this is going to be lots of fun. So I wasn't going to tell the story, but he called in sick this morning, so we're telling the story because it's 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 the best story ever. So probably around that time, I was visiting home, and it was um, we were having family dinner, and and we did the, we had family dinner. Uh, probably at least three times a week, where we sat at the table, looked across the table to each other, and had conversations, right? Then sometimes you ate in front of the TV, but probably a good three out of the seven days, majority were at the table, you know, doing what families used to do, right? I don't think they don't do that anymore. But it it was key, and it was important. And my my sister, um, she's smarter than I am. She is... uh, I I think she has more energy and more charisma than I do. She's just an amazing gal. And uh, she, I was, let's be honest, I was a good little kid, right? I was like the perfect little child. I hardly did anything wrong or naughty. That happened later. But um, my sister was, she was that that stubborn, I don't want to say stubborn. She was the energetic one, and she was always, always pushing their buttons. Like, they, 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 she called my mom and dad to task. task. I mean, they were, they were on their toes constantly. So I remember at the dinner table, dad sitting in his usual seat, and then, uh, and then my sister kind of sitting next to the corner, my mom sitting in her usual seat, and I'm sitting in my usual seat, and uh, my, I don't know what my sister was doing, but she was being naughty, just wiggling. She's probably about five or six, just not, you know, disrespecting mom and dad, wiggling around, not staying focused, not eating her food, whatever she was doing, it was, it was bad because the, the, the temperature in the room was escalating. Do You know what I'm talking about? It was like, it was, it was going from mom's voice was getting higher and higher and higher and I'm just kind of sitting back and honestly enjoying the show, you know? Because I don't live there anymore. This isn't my mess, this is their mess. They chose to have another kid. This it was not. She was not an accident. This was planned. And I'm just like, all right, this is, this is great. And um, so my mom, my mom's frustrated. She's done. And she's like, Larry, it's your turn. You handle this one. Have you been there, moms? Have you been there, where you you pass it off? Okay, so now it's dad. It's Pastor Larry's turn to discipline the child. And he's, <laughs> probably, probably no one in the room has ever seen him this way, but he's red, okay? See, he's, he's, he's angry. I can't, don't tell him I told you this, okay? <laughs> just do not tell him I told you this, but he's hot. And he's like, you can see he's, you know, he's getting red and veins are popping out and the finger comes out, Alexandra, you straighten up right now. And he's just, he, just, he just anger and rage. And She works him so hard. Without a word, without anything, she she leans over and she kisses him right here on the forehead, <laughs> right here on the you know on the on the male, paw, male pattern baldness spot, and he's just like, ar, and I can see it. I can see the crack right here in his right here, and his lip starts to quiver a little bit, <laughs> and and uh, and, he, and he's trying so hard to compose himself, and I'm like. <laughs> and then and so he loses it. He starts laughing. I'm busting up. And my mom is like, for goodness sake, Larry. <laughs> yeah. So I told these two stories because the reality of life is we live in two worlds. We have our work world and we have our home world. Right? Sometimes they collide. Sometimes they just, they just crash together, and uh, sometimes we're able to compartmentalize them. We have two different worlds, and, and we, can, we can separate them. That's actually good. We're going to be talking about that a little bit. But we live in two worlds. It is what our whole lives revolve around, family and work, and it ought to be so. It's so important, it is so key that this is the scripture that we're going to be reading next. This is um, Paul addressed it. He saw the importance of family life, and he saw the importance of work life. He he knows that that life is hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. Work is hard. It's not easy. And it was never like when they messed up in the garden. There was a there was a, a prophetic word that was uttered. You are going to work the the soil, and it's going to be hard. You're going to get blisters on your hands. You're going to be in the sun. It's going to be hard. It's just, it's the cost of sin. You have to toil. Because actually work redeems humanity. Good work, that is. We look at our world today, it's like, eh, I don't know. It's part of our redemption process. We are to work. We are to put our hands to something, or our minds, or our abilities, whatever, you, whatever God has given you, you that's what we're supposed to do. And then, as we talked about last week, the home life, is, it's, it's reminiscent of the, of the temple, of, the, of being in God's presence. So there, there's the balance there. So could you imagine if, if your home life, you could feel the presence of God? I mean, some of you do, but you feel it the same way that you do here. That's, that's the ultimate goal that, that we have as a church, is to have heaven transform your families. That's the ultimate goal. We're gonna take a look at what Paul says because what he, what, what he, well, overall what he says is like, you can be married, you can have a job, you can raise kids, but if you're doing it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, not only is it gonna be hard, it could wreck you. It could ruin you. And so he says, you, you can't do this on your own. I mean, you might, you might have enough natural abilities to pull some stuff off, but you can't do it on your own. You definitely can't do it God's way on your own. So this is what he's going to be calling us into, and this is what we're looking at. So Ephesians chapter six, and I'm, I chose to read this out of the message paraphrase, if you will. That's why I've got my cool iPad. I prefer my paper. Last week we read Ephesians chapter five, and that was the. Oh, it struck a nerve, didn't it? Sorry, guys, but it struck a nerve. And by the way, Mako and I will see you at the marriage course on Thursday night. So we're looking forward to that. But here's the next part. So in Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about how the the, the, the husband and wife unit, the the married couple, the one flesh, it ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a mystery in marriage. It's a lot like the gospel. Let's figure it out, he says. Let's, Let's see what... Let's see what the mystery is about marriage. So that was the major part about family. Then he goes into raising kids. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, okay, you're going to like this part, folks. Children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother. It is the first commandment that has a promise, first and only, that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so that you will live well. How many people want to live well? I don't care how old you are, even if mom and dad aren't around anymore, uh, maybe the reason why you are not living well because you never learned the secret of honoring your mother and father. I don't care what they did to you, you gotta be able to get your your soul, specifically your spirit, in in line with honoring those that gave you birth. Even Even if mom and dad weren't that great. You wanna live well, you need to break some bonds, some imprints as you'll learn on Thursday nights, that were put there by mom and dad. And it begins by honoring them. You will live well and what? Live long. I don't want to die young. I'm shooting for 90 plus. That's what I'd like to do. All right. So let's just get this promise that's attached. We're going to live well and have a long life. So that comes with honoring mom and dad, one of the Ten Commandments. All right. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. This could be, you know what, you could, if you're a mom, if you're a single mom, you can write your name in there. That, that might be, I know it might be saying you're adding to the word, whatever, but this is, this is a parental thing. Because moms, you can exasperate your children too. So I, I, I believe that it's both. But fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master is talking about how to raise a good kid. And we're gonna, we'll flesh that out. Servants. Now, if you have an NIV or maybe a King James, it might not say servants. It might say something else, like slaves. Okay, quick little exegesis point. Uh, slavery in the ancient world was a lot different than American slavery. It's, it would be more like uh, having to work at McDonald's would be, equivalent to it. I mean, you just, you just kind of have to do it. So people that, that were in debt, that were, that were broke, or, or they didn't have a place in society, they became servants in people's homes. It was just how the economy worked. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in trying to justify what was said in the Bible, but slavery was different than, than our interpretation of American slavery. Bottom line, and Paul addresses this, uh, slavery, the manipulation of people, is evil. Paul will go on to say uh, that we are all equal in Christ, male and female, slave and free. We're all equal. God sees everybody the same way. But he's working within a context of all right. This is the way that life is. Whether right or wrong, this is this is this is where we're at. But anyway, but we're going to go with the word servant. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to uh, Obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants, doing what God wants you to do. And work with what? Work, (laughs) Work with a smile on your face. Always keeping in mind that no matter what happens, Uh, to be giving the order, no no matter who happens to be giving the orders, what? You are really serving God. Good work will get you pay from the master, regardless of whether you are slave or free. Then he says, masters, in the same way, you uh, do not abuse, uh, no abuse, please, and no threats. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. All right, so this is the two areas that we're talking about. And so I don't know. For me, I find it interesting that he he goes from marriage to parenting to work. That's life, isn't it? Doesn't that just sum up your experience? Like 90% of what where you're spending your time, it's a, it's a, it's it's at home. In home relationships, at work, and if you're lucky, maybe you have a party life. How many people have so much time on their hands that they have a healthy party life? Not me. I got bills to pay, right? So this is what we're. This is this is the reality of life. Now, I want to look at uh, I want to look at work first. So this is this is hard stuff okay, because this is um this is a, an attitude of the heart on how we approach work. When was the last time that, that you said to yourself, I'm going to go into my work environment and I am going to go above and beyond punching my time clock? Because I have my rights. I say I know what my rights are and my, my rights are this is my job description, I'm gonna fall within the lines and I get a, I get a break at this point point. I'm gonna to stick to that break to the minute and, and, you, and you, go, you go into work working the system. And I, I totally understand that. I know that we have, we have these, these laws and these rules and these regulations for a reason so that people don't get taken advantage of. And I'm 100% on board with that. But here's the thing. If you want to have favor in, with man, you go the extra mile. Two things we're going to be talking about. Favor of man and favor of God. Um, they're big deals. Like you can't earn God's love for you, but you can increase in favor. It's a big deal. It's such a big deal that Jesus, God incarnate himself, increased both in favor of man and favor of God. So if Jesus, is, if Jesus is saying, I'm going to submit myself to the fact that I need to increase in favor with men, even though at any given time, I can smoke them all, I still need to learn the secret of gaining man's favor. Jesus said this. That's tough, huh? Because us Americans, we don't think this way. Our attitude is don't tread on me. That's the yellow flag with the snake wrapped around the whatever that is. Don't tread on me. I have my rights. And I get it. I'm an American. I resonate with the independent spirit. But when you start moving into areas of spiritual growth and favor, you've got to give that stuff up. I'm sorry. It, it just, this is the reality. So in order for me to increase my favor with my mechanic boss, I knew I'd blown it. I, I'm, sure there was, I'm sure there was more than just two strikes against me, leaving the tools out and you know pouring oil all over myself. I know there was more than two strikes. I'm sure I, I showed up late. I'm sure I had a bad attitude. I was on the bubble. Hmm? You know what I'm talking about. You're on the bubble. And they're just trying to think, okay, what, what's going what's gonna to cost more? If it's going to be more expensive for me to fire this guy or to, to keep them on and, and put up with this ne- negative attitude, this is what employees have to deal with. What, what, what's going to be more costly? So I chose to earn his favor back, and he was the good boss. Now, maybe you don't have a good boss, and I totally get that. He was extremely disciplined and, and you know, I mean, hard but he was the good boss, and he was a believer. He he drew me into a place of accountability through some very hard words, like, son, you're on the bubble here. You do that again, you're out. So I had to rise up to the occasion, and I did. When we seek... Like, it's not like you want to, I, I don't have another word for, no, I'm not going to say it. I'll get in too much trouble. Uh, when, you're, when you are the teacher's pet, you know where I'm going now. Okay, so when you're the teacher's pet, uh, you're, you know, you're trying to work this system and you just don't really care. So when you're the boss's pet, I mean, everybody like kind of looks down at the boss's pet. Um, but we need to take some lessons from the Bible. Uh, Joseph was the boss's pet. Jacob was the boss's pet. They They did very strategic things to get the favor of men. And last year, my boss died. And not only did I go to his funeral, not only did I take Uh, It was a Saturday, and I was preaching the next day. The last thing that I wanted to do was, was to drive three hours to go to his funeral. But I did. Because not only did I earn his favor, I honored the man that poured into my life. And it wasn't just me that did it. I mean, he was long retired. He hadn't worked in a while. The place was packed out. And I wasn't the only one that he poured into I wasn't the only one that, that threatened him, you know, you're going to lose your job if you, don't, if you don't rise up. I wasn't the only one. The place is packed out of, of men and women that said, you know what? John spoke into me. He challenged me. He loved me. And now I'm here today and I'm honoring this man in his life. It's difficult stuff. It's biblical. What did it What did it say? It says, you do your job with a smile. This isn't, this isn't corporate uh, employee job training stuff. This is biblical, folks. This, the, 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 it is biblical to, to say, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going I'm I'm to do a good job. And even if my boss is a jerk, in my mind and in my spirit, my boss is the Lord. Can I get an amen? Your boss is the Lord and he sees everything. He knows when we're being complacent. He knows when we have an apathetic uh, heart towards the, the blessing of the job that we have. He knows. And now we need to not only gain the favor of men, but we need to gain God's favor. Now it's different. In order to gain man's favor, what you, you have to kiss up a little bit. You just do. You have to go the extra mile, you have to go above and beyond. The job description says you wash the car. You go above and you wash the wheels too, right? You, sh- you show up early, you stay late, you do whatever it takes to get the favor of men. You can't do that with God. You can't say, okay, I'm gonna show up to church early and stay at church late to get God's favor. I'm gonna give above and beyond my tithe in order to get God's favor. I'm going to, I'm going to teach every single Sunday in Sunday school in order to get God's favor. That's not how it works. See, to get God's favor is a different spiritual principle. It's a different paradigm altogether. The only way that we can earn God's favor is through faith. It It is the desire to expand our ability to become more, I hate to use the word, faithful but it is our ability to expand in the areas of faith. That's the only way that we can please God. Is through our our, our desire and our courage to expand in faith. And what does that look like practically? I mean, um, next week as we launch the Daniel Plan, it, it might be fasting. There are there are specific spiritual principles. Now, if you if you go into a spiritual fast, I want to fast and you know. Because I, I, I need some breakthrough in my life. I need to grow spiritually, so I'm going to fast. But if you enter into the fast as, okay, I'm doing this in order to make God happy, you're going to lose. Because it's works-based. Do you see? Oh, God, you ought to love me because my ribs are showing and I'm getting rickets and I'm so hungry and I'm suffering for you. That's the attitude you've lost already. Oh, I'm doing this Daniel fast. And look at me, I've lost so much weight. That's a problem too. Do you know why that's a problem? Because the attention is not on the Lord, it's on you. You're more excited about how much weight you've lost fasting than you are about what? God. And how your faith has increased. So when we fast, the fast says, I'm giving this up because it might be an idol in my life. So I'm gonna take the attention away from this idol. And the way that, you know, one way that we can look at it is food. Food can be an idol to us. We eat when we're depressed, makes us feel better. When we're happy, we celebrate and we eat. So we're always looking for an opportunity to eat, right? And I believe strongly that God wants us to enjoy food. But the fast is important because the fast says, you know, you, you eat to live, not live to eat. Does, does that make sense? The French, okay, I, I, let's talk about the French. The French know how to eat. They eat very well, don't they? They, 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 have, a, they have a palate that's absolutely incredible. Um, and they eat very rich, fatty foods. But you know the difference between Americans and the French? But, well, besides all these other things. Besides, besides everything else, but you know, okay, let's leave the jokes alone. One, one major difference between the French and Americans is that Americans are, are fat and French are, are not. French are skinny. Why? It's because they, they enjoy their food, they value their food, they see it. It's almost like a, a, a personal spiritual experience to eat dinner. It's a big deal. They make their little plate, they look at it, they sit there, and they're, they're oh, does that look lovely? <laughs> that is beautiful. And they have a conversation, they, they, they will literally have a conversation with their food. Oh, that stick, it looks wonderful. I shall eat you now. And they slowly eat their food. So not only do they not eat a lot of food, they eat it slow, they enjoy it, they have a, a romance with their food we inhale our food, don't we? You hit the drive-thru, you got to go to work, you inhale this thing, you're done, you know, you got this rush of energy and this, this insulin burst. You can knock out some work and then you crash at the end of the day. So there's just some things that we just need to talk about. We'll, we'll hit on that in, starting next week. All right, now let's talk about when work collides with parenting, this is going to, okay, we're, we're, we're going to be shifting gears and we're going to be blending the two together because in the home is where, revel, is where uh, Revelation, not, that's, that's another book, but in the home is where revival will happen. When the home is transformed is when society will be transformed. You upset about where society is? The, the problem is not out there. Society's problem is not on the streets. Society's problem is in the home. And you know this, right? It makes sense when I say it. But rarely do we ever focus on the problem as being in the home. We we see the problem as being out on the streets or in the marketplace or, you know, whatever. No, it's at home. That's where society's problem is. And so this is going to be the difficult part, this is going to be the challenge for parents and for grandparents, uh, for single moms, is that in your home, your kids, boy, they see all. Your kids are all seeing. They're at a different level than you maturity-wise, obviously. So physically, they're different than you. Emotionally, they're, they're, I don't know, they... Some kids are emotionally more mature than their parents. That's, that's just the reality of it nowadays. But it ought to be the other way around. So emotionally, most kids are at different levels. And spiritually, kids are at different levels. Most kids have a stronger spiritual awareness than adults because they have this childlike faith. So their spiritual radar is a lot bigger than ours. My daughter can see things. She can sense things. She knows when things are going on in the spirit where I actually have to do some delving and, and like in-depth in prayer to figure out what's going on spiritually. But somebody with a childlike faith, they can pick it up right away. And so here's the thing. Um, when work collides with home, it's not good for kids, it's not healthy for a child to say, all right, dad's coming home or mom's coming home and I'm, and I'm, I'm afraid of it when, when they come home. The healthy spiritual mature, the person that is filled with the Holy Spirit will, uh, will have a difficult day at work and they'll leave it there. They won't bring it home. This is extremely difficult. This is, this is a struggle that I have personally is that I will bring work home with me. And one of the things that, uh, one of the struggles for the insecurity in children is the area of being present. So I can be in the same room with my child, but that does not mean that I'm present. That doesn't mean that I'm there. Um, and, I, and I do it with my wife, too. Uh, just because I'm in the room doesn't mean I'm, I'm engaged, so how many people have this problem where you're, you're home, you're, you're supposed to be engaging your family and, you know, I don't know, doing the dishes and maybe watching TV, having a dinner, but you're just not there. You're, you're, you're going through your day in your mind. Sometimes Mecca um, will say, I'll be spacing out, I'll be zoning out, you know. I'm a daydreamer. So I'm running through scenarios in my mind. She said, "Josh, where are you?" I'd be like, "Uh, I, I love you too, honey." <laughs> yeah, you said that. See, see, kids can pick up on that. They know when you walk in the room, they know when you're present, and then when you're not. And uh, there's a, there's, there's all. It, this isn't just me making stuff up. You know, psychologists are picking up on this too because we have this, we have this thing called a cell phone or the smartphone. It's more like a dumb phone, right? <laughs> It's more like a dumb idea. Um, because you're constantly on the technology, and you're not engaging your kid. There was a, there was a psychologist that did a study on a, on a two-year-old that, that snuck in, got her dad's phone, and flushed it down the toilet. And you know the dad's response was you know, anger and frustration, but they, they started doing a little bit of delving, and the, the, the kid says, uh, I can't compete with the phone. So the phone was getting more attention than the child. And so when we bring work home and we're not connected, we can't connect with our kid, and uh, it, it, it's, it's a problem in our society. Um, if you're in sales, this is kind of a side point, but it's the same idea. If you're in sales and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to win over a customer, uh, turn your phone off. I mean, this is sales one on one, folks. I, I, was, I had somebody that was trying to sell me something this week. And they, they made the appointment, it was one on one, we were engaged. And he's like, You know, you really need this? I'm like, Really? I really need that? Yeah, you really need this. And now's the time to act. Really? I should act right now? Yeah. You... So he kind of had me for a second. And then his phone rings, and he took the call Hey, this is John. How can I help you? And then immediately I just realized, okay, I am not valued in this conversation. And so well, I, I got my phone out and started doing stuff. But was—he's not, I'm not going to buy anything from that person. And so think about that with your kids. Are your kids going to buy in to who you are and who you say you are or your leadership if they perceive that you're not valued? Now, the part that Paul talks about when he says, you know, don't exasperate your children. In the NIV or the King James, it says, uh, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Now, discipline is needed. There needs to be structure. Kids actually feel safe in structure. But, uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking out of a place of experience and trying to raise an eight-year-old. She's eight now. She just had a birthday on Thursday, so she's eight. Uh, so, out of, out of speaking into a place of, of, of development and growth, we've got to see our kids as, uh, as being very um, wise, but in a sense, sensitive. So, if, you're, if your kid is struggling with insecurities, studies say that... Um, uh, for every time that you come down on your kid, every time that you exacerbate them or, or, or try to correct them or, or you're trying to be hard on them, you have to encourage them five times. For every one time you say, you got to you, you do your homework or, you, you know, clean your room. Whenever, whenever, we, whenever we're hitting that point of, like, you need a, you know, you're, you're coming down hard on your kid, you have to counterbalance that with five affirmations. It's absolutely amazing that you put your name on your homework. Good job. You're 13 years old. You ought to be putting your name on your homework by now, but good job. Do you see? And see, when um, there's a difference between disciplining our children and breaking our children, breaking their spirit, And, and why do we do this as parents? Why do we break our kids' spirits? Well, this is why you come to the marriage course on Thursday nights, because it's stuff that we've learned from our parents. Uh, unfor- and I know you said this, I'm never going to be like my parents. My parents did this to me, and I'm never going to act like that. Well, sometimes we do. Those, those, those patterns and those habits that they sneak in. And, you know, you might... What's the difference between disciplining your child in a healthy way and exacerbating them or... or um, leading them into wrath, is when we explode under our kids. Okay. In the, in the realm of parenting, they're the enemy. They, they are not, I know they love you, and they cuddle with you, but there's a dance going on, just like we learned about last week, and the, the, the couple, you know, there's a dance that we do. You're gonna do a dance with your kids. And uh, like my sister, knowing how to get my dad your, your kids, it's like, do you ever feel like you're a caged animal sometimes? Or is this just me? So I think sometimes when in parenting, you feel like you're a caged animal. And the, the child loves to poke the bear with the stick. And they poke, and they poke, and they poke, and they poke. And, you, and the dysfunction is not to address the initial poke. Right? That's the dysfunction. So as soon as, your child's, as soon as your child pokes you, you ought to respond e- immediately. It's like what John Griffith did to me. As soon as I left the tools out, he hammered me immediately. He didn't, like, he didn't like blow it off and let it build up over a month or so where he explodes all over the place, right? He disciplined me, but he didn't lose his cool with me because he cut it off at its source. So a lot of times what parents do, and we got this from Townsend, by the way, when we did the Townsend Conference, and again, when we did the, the, uh, the parenting conference with Jim Burns a couple years ago, uh, there's, this, there, there's this, they call it snapping. So when your child is poking you, poking you and poking you and poking you and poking you, and you're not responding to the pokes, you're gonna snap eventually, and you're gonna explode all over them, and you're going to uh, lead your children into wrath because you're pouring out your wrath on them. When you snap, You've lost, you've lost the battle with a kid, and you exacerbate them immediately. You break them because you're going to yell at them or whatever. Now, when we, uh, that makes sense? All right. Again, when work, a lot of times when we, when we snap at our kids, it's not necessarily because of an issue of, of them not doing their job, or maybe it is, but whenever we express ourselves in a negative way it could be, it could come from our uh, our model from mom and dad or whatever, but a lot of times it is an expression of our frustration at work. I think that's why Paul melds these two together. So sometimes you come home, you're tired, you're frustrated, you're grumpy. Um, you wanna you wanna defrag and unwind, and you're and it's like sometimes when we go home, it's round two, right? Round one was at work, and now you're coming home, and you're going into round two. It's difficult stuff. It's hard, and when these two worlds merge, and when you when you lay into your kid in an unhealthy way, the sin is manifested when you're when you're when you are expressing your frustrations out on your kid. That's when sin is. That's when that's when we blow it. That's when we sin as parents. So. What are we to do? I believe, and this is what I practice, our issues, being adults and being in the workplace, our issues, our problems, life is very temporal. For us, our problems are magnified. They're big issues. They seem really important right here and right now. Our kids do not see it that way. Did you know that? They have a childlike faith. And so when we, when we bring our, our problems and our junk home, when we come into the door and we're defeated, that's the last thing that our kids want to see. Because they, they don't see the world in temporal, uh, with temporal eyes or, or you know, the right here and right now. They do in some sense, but they have much more of an eternal perspective on life. And so your kids, what they're looking for they're looking for the victor in you. They're looking, they are looking. They want to see the eternal you. They want to see how God has made you, what God says about you, what you believe about yourself. That's what they're really looking for. So here's the practical point. When you come home, if you've had a bad day, maybe you need to drive around the block a couple times before you come in the front door. I mean this. I've done this. Or maybe you need to sit out in the car for a little bit. Say some bad words. Or not. Your pastor didn't tell you to do that. You you vent. You you need to vent at home. And when you come through that door, uh, you are not the same person when you walk through the front door of your house. If you got chewed out, if you had a bad day, if you got demoted... Okay, you cannot say, that is my identity, because that just happens to be your your circumstance right here. Your kid does not care about your circumstances right here, right now. They want to see the eternal you. So when you walk into the door, fake it. Fake it. Fake it for your kids. I know that sounds, I'm I'm, I'm kind of over-exaggerating, but when you walk in the door, you've had the best day of your life. You, you, you know, you walk in the door, and I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I had an incredible day at work, even though I got chewed out. You don't say that part. I kicked some butt. I took some names. I had a great day at work. This is who I am, right? So identify yourself of who God has called you to be when you walk into your house. Okay, I know that might, I don't know, faking it might seem a little extreme. Yeah, it may be. Here's the main point your family is not your psychologist. Your kids are not there to give you comfort because you've had a bad day. They are looking to you. Mom, dad, single mom, single dad, they are looking to you to be the victor, to be the leader. So however you gotta do to get your heart right, to say, okay, I'm gonna go in as a victor and not a victim, even though I've had a bad day, you change your mind in, in, in your identity. And how you live at home, how you project yourself at home, I believe in the long run, will manifest itself out in the workplace. So if you come into your, into your house and say, I am a victor, I am more than, a, more than a conqueror, I am gaining the favor of man and the favor of God, I'm moving forward. If you have that attitude in your house, you're gonna start believing it and you're gonna start walking it and, you, and your work life will get better. But better yet, not only is it gonna benefit you, it's going to benefit your child because if you come in, if you come home and if you're complaining about work and if you're complaining about your boss and little Miss Big Ears, and little Miss Big Ears, they pretend like they don't hear it. But I, I swear to you, they can listen through walls. They can hear through your car when it's closed, and you're, you're, you're talking outside of the car, and your kid's inside. They can hear through cars. They can hear through Fort Knox. They've got radars for ears. And you want your kids to be successful in life, Right? And if we're complaining about our jobs, if we're complaining about our bosses, if we're not making the the spiritual connection between work and worship, did you know that that's what work is? Do you know that when you put your hands to your job, it is an expression of worship? You're setting your kids up for success. You're setting your kids up for security when they see you coming home Full of victory and joy, even though you had the worst day of your life. There's certain things that you can't filter out from your kids. If, if your family is uh, going, is grieving or going through a difficult time, you know, I would say have a stiff upper lip, but try not to fake it too much because kids know when you're fake. when, when everything is completely fake, have a stiff upper lip. You know, it, look, this is what we're going through. I mean, they're gonna know. But the bottom line is. Your kids are not your strengths. They're not there to affirm you. They're not, you know, their love for you is not there to to, to meet a deep need. (laughs) They're looking for you for that. All right, if I could have the band and the ushers to come on up to the front. Now, as they're on their way up, Paul continues to say, let's read it. Paul says in verse 10, and that about wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything that the master has set out of you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and you put them to use so that you'll be able to stand up to everything that the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic conference that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This keeps on going this is, uh, this is for keeps, life and death. Fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. If you are a believer, if you've stepped across that line of faith, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, there's a war waging for you and your family. These things, This is why it's important to be the spirit-filled believers because you cannot fight this fight on your own. There are, yeah, maybe there's psychological things. Maybe there's some emotional things. Maybe, there's, maybe you have some baggage. But the game is on. And the enemy is the devil. And I don't care how you, like, he's real. And the worst thing that you can do is pretend that he's not. The next worst thing that you can do is that you can give him way too much attention. Well, somewhere in there, there's a balance. But he's got But Paul says we are equipped to do spiritual warfare for ourselves and our family. We are to contend. And we can be victorious. Let's pray. Father, right now, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for this this building and able to to come together in corporate worship. And we thank you that that a large majority of our church is committing themselves to, to healthy families healthy relationships Father right now there's there's some of us that are struggling with the secrets and the mystery of marriage Pray that you would just gently draw them to the gospel to the cross God I pray uh, uh a blessing on those that are, that are struggling at work. And I pray that you will show them some very practical things that they can do tomorrow that will give them favor. But more importantly, God, I pray that you will encourage them that they have all the spiritual tools they need to succeed and to overcome the schemes of the evil one. But there's a strategy that we can, that we can take part of. And for everyone that is, that is struggling and, and raising raising their kids, that there's tension in the home and they're just not seeing eye to eye. Uh, I, again, I pray that the, 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 the practical things will, 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 will be highlighted, but I pray that you also give us the ability to increase in faith so that we can grow our homes and our children so that we can give them all the tools that they need to be successful. God, I pray that you bless this offering, that we can continue to do what we do. Bless this body in your name.